Welcome to Joanna and the Maestro. Hello, Maestro. Welcome back to the second instalment of this pair of episodes all about unsung heroes. Last week, Stevie, we discussed the prolific work of Charles Kirchlin. Charles Kirchlin, I should think he is. This week, I want us to discuss Lily Boulanger, who was born in 1893. She was unbelievably talented at a very young age. Would Lily Boulanger have known about Charles Kirchlin? Would she have come under his spell? Would he have taught her or even met her? What do you think? Yes, she would have known about him. Absolutely. And here is the most extraordinary thing. She was an almost unbelievably prodigious young child. Her sister, Nadia, older, Mm. older sister, and they remained very close all their lives. Nadia Boulanger was also a child prodigy. They were born to two musical parents in a musical family. And interestingly, Lily was born when her father was 77. So, of course, she never knew her grandfather, but her grandfather had won the Prix de Rome way back in the 1840s, I think. Um, Which is a huge musical prize, is it? For what? Composition or what? Yes, the Prix de Rome. Almost every French composer, including Berlioz, nearly every French composer of note won the Prix de Rome. I think Debussy won the Prix de Rome. Now, not to jump the gun a bit, Nadia Boulanger started studying at the Paris Conservatoire when she was 10. And Lily was barely five, I think. So Nadia took Lily along with her, and this tiny child sat and studied with her older sister. And somehow, because it it doesn't appear that Lily studied with any particular teacher, at least I can't, I can't remember, but she just took it in. She took in theory, she began to study the organ, then she also sang and she played the violin, I think, and she also played the harp. Now, for goodness sake, you have to squeeze all this in to a very short life because she was born very ill with bronchial tuberculosis. Mm. And... She died when she was 24. What? Now, that whole life, it suddenly makes you remember the kind of prodigy that Mozart was. And there's a certain amount of learning that you can do in a conservatoire and a a university. But where you develop enough knowledge of music, you hear enough, you understand it, you assimilate what's happening. She composed music. Yes. When did she start composing, do you think? Was it quite a little girl? At the conservatoire, probably. She must have been. She must have been. Because at the age of 17, she entered the Prix de Rome and had to withdraw. 17. Now, you've got to remember that Mendelssohn wrote his octet when he was, I think, 16 or is it 18, but a similar kind of age. And Mozart was well away by then. So it's not completely unheard of. She was right up there as some kind of genius. But she wasn't odd. She was a perfectly ordinary child in a perfectly ordinary family. Now, she had to withdraw from competition then when she was taken ill suddenly. 
during the competition, but she came back the following year. Mm. Now, this is the music that I want to try and interest people in having a listen to. She entered again when she was 18, and part of the prize was those shortlisted would have to go away. I think they, I think they were all packed off to Italy, and they were all given two weeks to compose a cantata for final deliberation. Remind me what a cantata is. A cantata is a narrative made up of several numbers that is not performed on stage dramatically. So it's a concert performance. It's a concert performance. Mm. And she, in those two weeks, wrote Faust and Helen. And she won. And it's really not surprising (laughs) because when you compare other people's careers like Kirchner or even Debussy, they didn't get into their stride until considerably later in their 20s and major works perhaps in their... 30s later. And here was this fantastically talented girl writing music that is so eloquent and romantic and also with an understanding of human relationships. So Faust and Helen, it follows a, a story of their relationship and the bad end it came to and describes their love. It's to die for. You could literally listen to two or three minutes of it and you would be taken absolutely into a world of interest, colour and romance. Having won the Prix de Rome, she had six more years of life. She continued to compose. She actually has quite a long list of compositions and she was working on another, well, another, I'm not sure that there were more, an opera. When she finally succumbed, because it, it, uh, her, was it this bronchial thing? Her illness mm. was chronic. And what was Nadia must have been a constant at this point in her life. Nadia Boulanger was was what? She was not a pianist. What was she? Nadia was a composer, and she entered the Prix de Rome, I think, twice, and didn't win the prize. And she clearly realised that her young sister was more likely to succeed as a composer. And she became devoted to Lily. And Nadia Boulanger went on to become one of the most famous of all teachers of pedagogy and of composing. I believe that Pierre Boulez studied Studied with Nadia Nadia Boulanger. This is where one knows the great name. Now, the magic about this is that here were two women who were succeeding in a world that doesn't really produce a huge number of uh, women composers. Women performers, yes, that was growing fast. But in, in the world of composers, these two were immediately assumed to be part of the great and the very good. 
And I think Debussy, when he first saw some of his music, he put his finger rather like Haydn did with Mozart and said, this is music with a very deep understanding of how it works. Was this about Lily or about... Nad- about Lily. About Lily. There are also some other very, very moving pieces by Lily Boulanger. She composed three psalms. Now, we've already talked about this, but at that time, everybody was using huge orchestras. These three psalms, there is a voice to them that is clearly different from any other living composer at that time. So where did it come from? Just take Psalm 24, for example. La terre appartient à l'éternel. It's the most extraordinary flourishing of, of someone who understood not only what music had been and was, but what it could be. So her influence on composers like another not-quite-so-sung heroes, Szymanowski, there is a very clear link, and Skriabin, too, in some of his wonderful Russian romantic music. Lily Boulanger was crucial to that development. Ravel, as the senior statesman, Lily Boulanger in the middle, in those delicately few years, contributing well beyond that of many other composers. Little thing, she died in 1918, the end of the First World War. What an extraordinary last four years of her life, of her tragically short life, say from 20 to 24, was the war when her country was ravaged. Does any of that show in her work, do you think? Well, yes, because I think the last time she wrote, 130, Psalm 130, this is a piece that I played in at Cambridge from the abyss. Was this a piece of the de l'abîme? No, it's for chorus. Yeah. Soloist and orchestra. And it's very dark. There's a deep religious and philosophical aspect to the uh, setting of the Psalms. And her vision of the world and people and love and death and despair. It's quite exceptional. It's, it's, it's very strange. The last thing she wrote, apparently, on her deathbed, Pia Jesu, was the simplest melody with words that she'd written, basically saying, I am a poor girl. I am in such huge pain. 
it's almost like a nursery rhyme. Mm. But when you see that on the page, and when you when you hear it, it's <laughs> it's pretty overwhelming. Maestro, I don't want us to go out on a sad piece of Lily. I'm thrilled that we've heard that, but I don't want to go out on that. So I'd suggest... What should we choose? When we say unsung, we must quickly clear that up. We're using it as a word, which just means they were sung in their time. They were hugely influential and admired. But in the way that the world turns its face away from certain people, it might return to them. It think, might return I, to Kirkland. I like to think of this as there being a spotlight, a main track, which is well lit. And these unsung heroes that we'll talk about a little bit, I hope, as we go on to make some more episodes, these unsung heroes are just slightly out of the light. Mm. They're there. And I was lucky enough just to have the light shone at a time when I was eager to hear something new and it stayed with me all my life. Both those pieces, Faust and Helene and Le Bandalog, have remained with me all my life. And I know they always will. They're really important. But what I suggest we go out on yeah. is from Charles Kirchner's Symphony for Seven Stars. Because Kirchner, one of his interests became movies and movie stars and movie making. And when you look at the title, you think, oh, that must be a symphony about the cosmos. Mm. It'll be about the solar system, you know. But it's not. <laughs> it's seven movements, very cleverly put together. And each movement is titled with the name of a Hollywood movie star. So there is a movement called Clark Gable. And there is, I think, Marlene Dietrichs in it. I'm not sure about that. And Charlie Chaplin is the finale. And it's the most moving tribute, actually, because it demonstrates Kirchner, all his glittering charm and his sensitivity. episode you heard the following music. Faust et Helen, written by Lily Boulanger, performed by Jason Howard, Jan Pascal Tortelier, Anne Murray, the BBC Philharmonic, Lynn Dawson, and Bonaventura Botton. The record label was Chandos Records. Psalm 24, written by Lily Boulanger, performed by the Namur Symphonic Choir, Marshall Desfontaines, Mark Stringer, and the Luxembourg Philharmonic Orchestra. The record label was Timpani. Psalm 130, written by Lily Boulanger, and performed by the American Symphony Orchestra, 
Rebecca Ringel and Paul Appleby. The conductor was Leon Botstein and the record label was American Symphony Orchestra. Piezu, written by Lily Boulanger. Performed by Jean-Jacques Grunwald, Orchestra La Moreau and Alain Fauquer. Conducted by Igor Markovich. The record label was Prominence Records. The Seven Stars Symphony, Opus 132, Charlie Chaplin. Written by Charles Kirkland. Performed by Symphony Orchestra, Basil and Ariane Matiak. The record label was Capriccio.